Good morning. We're reading in Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Righteousness through faith in Christ. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Uh, will you pray with me or us? Father, thank you for, for, for the worship today. Thank you for hearing our worship. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for uh, Quinonia's first Sunday, Lord. Uh, we're grateful to be one in Christ with them, with our brothers and sisters. We're grateful that faith in you is sufficient uh, for our salvation, and it's what joins us. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, through this week, we pray for the Spirit to be our confidence in our salvation, Lord, that we would set aside crutches of self-achievement in the law. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Amen. Thank you, Elsons. Appreciate you guys. Well, we're back in uh, Philippians 3. We kind of just got, we just kind of dipped our toe in last week with uh, Send Sunday, Church Planting Sunday, sending our brothers and sisters over to Sugarland with Koinonia. Today, we really dig back in uh, to the book of Philippians. And if you'll notice, there's a, a really significant tone change here in Philippians 3 for, the, for our betterment, but also for the betterment of, uh, of the church in Philippi. And so if you had to identify one of the greatest dangers to your faith, what would you identify? Have you thought about that this week? Paul is inviting us to think about that this morning because he says, it's no trouble for me to repeat some things to you. And actually, as I repeat some things to you, it's for your safety. Therefore, we have to then assume we're in danger. The Philippian church was in danger. There are things that are warring against our soul that actually put us in danger. If you had to identify one of the things that was coming against your soul, your spiritual vitality, what would you put your finger on? Is it sin? Is it the devil? Is it the world around us? Is it our flesh? Is it that person that you disagree with online? They are the problem. Or maybe in your neighborhood group, if you're not online, or you just got out of the habit of being online because you enjoyed it so much during Lent that you just put aside childish things. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean social media. 
No, no, seriously, what is it that is, that is warring against our souls? Because Paul is warning us, all of us, that one of the greatest threats to your spiritual vitality will be finding the joy of your salvation in circumstance, smooth circumstances, in religion, or in your performance. Here's what Paul knows, and here's what is, we're going to contextualize it for our day. It's this. When you get disappointed with Jesus, you will be greatly tempted to deconstruct your faith completely. And you guys know it because you've heard the podcasts. You've heard all the podcasts of all the wounded people that no longer believe in Jesus because something happened in the church that they grew up with or they read the Bible a different way all of a sudden, and they, they could never make sense then of whatever their now new discovery is with whatever their experience was. And Paul is warning us right now, deconstruction is fine, but let us reconstruct with the truth of the gospel. We must. Every week we deconstruct. Deconstruction is not bad. But what is the scaffolding and the bones to that new house, that firm foundation that we're going to build our house upon at some point? our own opinion, whatever it may be. But ultimately, Paul is driving us back to the truth of the gospel again and again. And he's saying, I want to repeat it now so that you don't fall away from this basic truth. You are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. And we'll get back to that. So here's what I think. If joy was based on circumstances, if it was based on religious performance or your own achievements, which we're all tempted to base our joy upon, but if it was based on those things, the most joyful person in Rome at the writing of the book of Philippians could not have been put in prison. The most joyful person in Rome at the writing of the book of Philippians must have been then the emperor Nero, because he was at the top of the food chain. His circumstances, I mean, he had servants, he had every, if you didn't do what he wanted you to do, you literally were killed on the spot. And so surely he was the most joyful person, but we know history tells us he was a madman. And history also tells us that the man in prison in Rome, he's the most joyful person in Rome. How can this be? You see, what the kingdom does when it comes upon our, upon our hearts, it flips everything upside down to where it frees us from pursuing those things of getting to the top of the food chain, and instead it calls us to go, oh, you want to be great? Well, you got to go die you got to become the least of these. You see, what is happening here in Philippians 3 is that Paul is reminding us that our joy is to be found in Jesus' finished works and that he is calling us to break away from all sources of joy for our salvation, including our kids, including religious works, including our spouse or our circumstances or our work or our hobbies, or whatever it may be, whatever club we're associated with, you name it, God is saying that is not the source of your joy, O Christian. The ultimate source of your joy, O Christian, is to be found in Jesus. Found in Jesus, and Paul will unpack that as we go. But before we get there, there are two things that I think are warring against us that Paul is unpacking here. The first one is this, that we could find a false joy in religion. A false joy in religion. And you're thinking to yourself, well, are we part of the Christian religion? And aren't we doing a very religious work here now? And those are not bad things. But they are bad things when they become the ultimate thing. 
and I'll unpack what that means here in a moment. Let's just read again Philippians 3. Can we, here, just so you know, maybe this little um, side meeting to the meeting this morning about like, hey, why don't we put Philippians 3 up on the screen? We want you to bring your Bible. We want you to read the Bible with, with us out of the scriptures. And so that's why we don't put the main text on the screens because we're assuming you either got a clickable Bible or a paper Bible that you're referring to just as me, just as I am. Here's the deal. This isn't my idea. This is God's idea. So we submit to it and we consistently go back to it. We're hoping that you would enjoy reading God's word. And as you do, you would start to bring it and love it and cherish it. And it starts to end up like a tattered mess over time. That's not a brag. It's just as old just old, and I don't take care of my stuff very much. Uh, so here we go, Philippians 3, now back into the scriptures so that we can understand what we're up to, right? Here's what Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. What are we rejoicing in? In good circumstances? In religious achievements? No, no, in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and oh, by the way, it's a safeguard for you, verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship this by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, there's a great danger that we might find our joy in religion and instead of relationship. And so that has been hijacked over the years. There was a philosopher that, that, that really made that popular, that ultimately our hope is not in religion, but it's in a relationship with Jesus. And we as individuals in a postmodern world go, well, I don't need then any of the organized religion. All I'll take is my own personal relationship with Jesus. And I can do that on a kayak or in a deer stand or at a baseball field or anywhere, really. I don't really need this. And that's just simply not true. You do need this. We are called and created to be in community by a God that is community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so if we think we can walk a Christian life for any length of time without the community of God, it is a danger for us. But I want to pull us back. It is about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about a religion. It's not about even the things that Paul has done throughout his life. You see, Paul's tone turns quickly because he knows the temptation of finding joy in religion. You see, religion becomes evil when we base our salvation on the works within the religion. I'll unpack that in just a moment, but ultimately it's this, right? Paul has a change of tone here. He's no longer rejoicing that everyone, that even if they preach um, the same gospel, but for bad motives. He's no longer rejoicing over those things as he did in chapter 1, verse 18. Now he turns the corner, and he's got some enemies that he's addressing, and he says they're dogs, right? I mean, that's pretty in intense, right? They're dogs. They're evildoers. I mean, th those guys mutilate the flesh. The Greek literally is like the mutilation. So what is he doing here? He is pointing out very poignantly to the church at Philippi and for all of us, that there were people that seeped into the church over time, the first 30 years of it, much less 2,030 years of it. Ultimately, there were people that came into the church and they said, hey, look, I know that you love Jesus. I love Jesus too. But you know Jesus was a Jew, don't you? You know he was circumcised on the eighth day. And if you want to follow Jesus, then you need to follow this piece of the law. You actually need to get circumcised as well. To put it in our vernacular, you actually need to get baptized if you want to follow Jesus. If you want to love Jesus at all, you need to do something. You need to pray a prayer at the end of this service. You just come on up. You pray that same prayer. You repeat after me. It's magic. Boom. Hell's gone. Heaven's here. 
any work that you depend on, any work, no matter what it is, if it is not the finished work of Jesus, we're going to put that in the category of dogs, evildoers, and mutilation of not just the flesh, but the truth. See, the dog there is a term for Gentiles, and Paul flips it on those who would have despised the Gentiles. And he calls the Judaizers the dogs. He calls the evildoers here. He calls them evildoers. The greatest threat, y'all, I want you to see this. The greatest threat is not someone who is riddled with sin. The greatest threat is someone who thinks they're great. And we've all known someone like that in a Bible study or in a small group or from a pulpit. You don't have to get out of the church to find that person. They're right here amongst us. As a matter of fact, I had lunch with a friend of mine. I haven't seen him in a long time. I had lunch with my friend of mine this week. And we just started talking about church and about like talking like real church. And so he just threw this scenario at me and he goes, hey, I'm not going to go through all the details, but he goes, hey, um, friend of mine, elder at a church, pastor at a church, this is what they're dealing with right now. What would you do? And this was the situation. Uh, they have an offender in their church and that um, offender wants to become a, a member of their church. That offender has gone to prison, has paid their has done their, their, their time in prison. Um, they have come out, they have confessed, they have repented. Uh, they don't want to live the life that they once lived, and they want to become a member of a church. And so now you as the elders are now thinking about this person, and are they a great threat to your church? What should you do? And this was like literally, I hadn't even taken my Rudy's out of the basket yet <laughs> to make it my own. It's not yours, it's mine. And I was like, okay, man, well, you want to know where I'm at on that? He's like, yeah, I want to know where you're at because I want to know what, my, what, what kind of advice that I gave that person, if it was right or wrong. I was like, well, don't, don't base everything on what I have to say. But if you're telling me what I would do, here's what I would do. Here's the deal. I would probably call the elders, if they're really struggling with whether or not this person is now worthy of membership, I also would ask us, so like literally, just like Jesus did, who amongst you has not sinned? Who amongst you has has all of a sudden done the worst thing imaginable in your mind, right? Uh, because ultimately, if, if you were caught on your worst moment and put in prison for that, and then you repented and wanted to find a home in a church, what would you want that church to do? Do you, do we as the Grove Church, as I hope more messy people find this place to be their home, I hope more people that were addicted to sin, addicted to all sorts of substance, all, all the world, you name it, I hope they find this place to be their home um, and that we would be a people that would welcome them in some way. But as I was asked that question, I would go, okay, so here's what I'm doing. I'm going to the elders, I'm going, hey, we can't be like captivated by people's perspective here and, and perception here. Yeah, okay, um, that person might cause a threat to this, this, this environment. We set up safeguards for that person, and they're not allowed to serve in those particular areas. If we see them in those particular areas, they're out. At the same time, man, you can do so many things in the kingdom. As we welcome you in this place, we want you to be a part of this church, because here's the deal. You've confessed your sin to us. There's no guarantee you're going to do that down the street. And now we're going to put them in danger? No, no, no. We'll take, we'll take it. And sadly, the advice that was given and taken with that eldership was, hey, look, the perception is real. Your church is not going to be able to handle the, the, the threat to the safety of your community. He's not going to become a part of that church. That's sad to me. What happened? 
Well, we started to base our righteousness based on the safety that comes with religion. Safety that comes with everybody starting to look the same and, and act the same, and it's very homogenous when we do these things. See, that's what, what, what Paul is calling evil. Those that would base their righteousness and therefore the righteousness of another on religion, on doing something the right way all the time. Instead, Jesus looked at people that were sinning and he said, you follow me and quit sinning. That's ultimately the call for all of us at one uh, time or another. Sin is a great threat to our spiritual vitality, but Paul also warns us of the threat of self-righteousness based on religion and rules. And so you're thinking to yourself, are rules bad? Of course not. But Jesus did not come to make us good people, as, uh, as, as the great theologian put it, right? And this is not like an Ice Cube reference. This is actually a really a good, th- uh, a good theologian. Leonard Ravenhill said this, Jesus not, did not come into the world to make bad men good. He came into the world to make dead men live. And so that's what we are. That's what we sing about. I had a, a head full of rocks and a heart made of stone, but Jesus, you made me alive. Spirit, you intervened. Father, you worked your will. I didn't do any of this. It's by grace and by grace alone. And it is a great threat to base your salvation or the joy of your salvation on anything that happens in a religion or religious room. Yesterday, I went to my cousin's wedding. Oh, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this, but I'm talking about it. Um, I went to my cousin's wedding, and, um, and he's Catholic, very, very, very Catholic, and uh, we all knew that he was very Catholic because we went and, and went to his wedding. And he's um, a little bit older, a lot older, first marriage, and so really beautiful to celebrate with him. And I just sat there in the very long Catholic Latin wedding. Just so you know, if you think I'm going long, just go sit in a Latin mass, and you will get a new perspective on long, Okay? But it, it troubles me none to repeat some things to you. But I was there, and I, I was going, I went from angry to sad for over about an hour and a half. Why, would I, why was I angry? Here's what Paul is getting to for him. The Jewish faith, he excelled at, and he's going to count it as loss. The Catholic faith, I didn't really excel at, but I did it, because that's what good Catholics do. We do it. We don't, it doesn't matter what happens on Saturday night, you're going to be there on Sunday. So as a Catholic, as an ex-Catholic, a recovering Catholic, I can sit in a room with a perspective that may be different than someone that didn't have that background. And so I went from angry to sad over an hour and a half because it wasn't just, um, like we talked about it this morning, my, my mom and I were like, man, it, like the, the bride and the groom didn't even look at each other, they didn't kiss, they, didn't, they were never introduced, like who was this thing about? It wasn't about the bride and groom. It was about the Catholic Church. It was about devotion to a religion that let me be clear, and I don't want to offend because I'm one that went to a Protestant church as a high schooler, and I heard basically this, whether they said it or not, I heard it. If you're not a, a, a Protestant and you're a Catholic, you're going to hell. That's what I heard. And I never wanted to go back to another Protestant church for as long as I lived, and here, here we are. That's fun. But as a Catholic, and I want you to hear this, if you, if you are a Catholic and you're here and you're visiting, or you're an ex-Catholic and you're trying to figure out what the truth is, the Catholic faith is not Christianity. 
I say that with tears. You've got someone that you love that is deceived by a massive organization that is pushing a gospel that is very clearly by grace and by works. And this is how it works, right? You've got a sacrament of baptism, so you come into this world with, with, um, uh, with original sin, and if you get baptized, God will give you the grace to wash away original, original sin. That's not what baptism is. We don't work to get forgiven of anything, and that's just one example, much less the other six sacraments where you do things and God gives you grace through that thing. You do something and God gives you grace through that thing. You meet him halfway up that stairs and he'll come down the rest of the way. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, I saw the stairs, I burnt them to the, to the ground and I ran the other way. Because I don't want anything to do with Jesus. That's what sinners do. That's what I did. That's what I still do. And instead Jesus what the old uh, preachers used to call the hound of heaven, came after me when I was running the other way, tripped me up so my life was miserable, captured me by his grace, brought me into the fold, and now feeds me on a regular basis with the bread that came down out of heaven, the true manna. That's what, that's what Christians believe. So you might be thinking, well, what about works? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. We work not to get things but because we've been given everything. It's out of gratitude. Why would I not want to work for him? Why would I not want to do, be zealous for good works? He's given me everything. He's adopted you. He's brought you in. You didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. No amount of works can get us some sort of affection from God except for the works of Jesus. This is radically offensive, not just to Catholics, but to the Jews. Also to, to all of us in the room that goes, if I asked you, tell me about if I go to lunch with you, and I'm going to go to lunch with some of y'all soon, I'm going to ask you this question. So y'all better get ready. It's usually this. Tell me about your journey with the Lord. And you're going to say, oh, I grew up in the church. I got baptized when I was eight. And I'm going to go, oh, no. You know why? Because I see with new eyes. This is not about religion. It's not about something my, my parents brought me into. It's not something that when I was eight, like my son's eight, and he just got baptized. It's a true story that could be happening in his life, and I don't even know it yet. I agree. It's a cry of my heart, too. But like ultimately, seriously, for all of us that would trust in anything besides the finished work of Jesus, danger, Will Robinson, Grove Church danger. We have to make sure that we're not counting anything as a means of righteousness except the finished work of Jesus. Why we need to be reminded every week of the gospel, whether it be through communion or through singing the gospel or speaking the gospel or reminding ourselves again and again, oh my gosh, the whole world is set up to where I will forget this. Lord, bring me back to what's true. And speaking of, it's not just religion, right? It's not just religion. It's also personal 
accomplishments. See, if we go back up into three and then read six, right? He says this, for we are the circumcision. He's saying, you guys want to get do all the circumcising? Actually, we're the ones that are the circumcision. We're the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, aka we have been circumcised in our heart by God's Spirit. He's made us alive, and now we glory in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves, not in any religion, not in any personal accomplishments. We put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence, and I don't know about you, but when you think about the flesh, you might be thinking, oh, well, those are like works of the flesh, like, you know, debauchery and... um, and, and, and all the things that you would think about, like fornication and homosexuality and all, the, all those ooh, bad sins. But Paul is telling us that the works of the flesh are religious works done out of self-righteousness. It's not just sins out there that are, that are ooh, bad. It's what's going in our hearts. That's why he pulls us back to we are the ones that worship by the Spirit of God the glory and give glory to Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. You want to know what my more is? You think you're religious? Awesome. Check my resume out, Paul says. I'm circumcised on the eighth day, the prescribed day of the law, of the people of Israel. I'm not a Gentile. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I don't know if you know this, but King Saul, the first, first king of all of Israel, he came from the tribe of Benjamin. They was also the tribe that, that uh, aligned themselves with the tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel over history. If you're a Bible nerd, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, man, get in a growth group and let's get after it. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, as to right, uh, a Pharisee, As to zeal, man, I had all the sincerity in the world. Surely my zeal for these works are what's going to get me into heaven. Nope, I was a persecutor of the church. I murdered people for God. That's what Paul's saying. I'm going to bet none of us have murdered anyone for God. Paul is someone who understands the depravity of humanity, and he also understands, therefore, the great grace of God. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. You couldn't put any blame on me. Everybody was looking at me, how I live. They all thought, man, that dude has got it together. Unbelievable. Paul does this throughout Scripture, and basically what he's doing is this. If you want to play the self-righteousness game, Paul says, I got you beat. I got you beat. And if you want to play the, the who suffered more for Jesus game, I also got you beat. So where are you basing your righteousness on works of the law or even suffering under Jesus? Like, oh, well, Jesus surely owes me now because I suffer for him. He doesn't owe you. You're not in debt to him. Excuse me. He's not in debt to you. That's appropriate. The other one was heresy. Excuse me. You are in debt to him. That's what grace does. 2 Corinthians 11 Paul does a very similar thing, and you would think if there's anyone that had anything to to boast about, surely it was the Apostle Paul. This will come up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 29, and he's approaching, again, Judaizers in a different church, not just the church at Philippi, not not, not just the church at Galatia, but also in Corinth. He says, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Good for them. Are they offspring of Abraham? Got it. Are they servants of Christ? I can do that better too. 
He says, I am talking like a madman, because he knows he's boasting, and he's trying to speak their language because he knows it's nonsense. With far greater labors, by the way, if you think that you're serving Jesus, far more imprisonments, this is where he gets to the righteousness by suffering, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, and often, by the way, they tried to kill us a lot. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 40 lashes, it was, it was thought to have been um, mortal. So he came all the way up to death five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You feel the pressure when you read that? I do. That even in all these things, he could have boasted either in self-righteousness or in suffering for the Lord. But Paul is saying, if you want to boast in good works, I have you beat. And because I have excelled in these things, Paul is saying, I have authority to tell you a good perspective. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. See, here's the thing. I'm going to unpack this in just a moment, but here's what he wants you to understand. Every other religion in the world is based on the economy of the world, which is I do X, and then God will do Y, and then I get this thing, that whatever it is that I was hoping for. I'm going to put in my work, and that's going to produce this, and then people ultimately will notice, whether it's God or my teacher growing up, like this is what you're trained in. What we're trained in is study for that test, it'll get you a good grade, and your teacher will come around and give you a sticker. Now we laugh, but that's in our hearts with God. If I go to church, if I give my 10%, whatever percentage you think is righteous under the Lord, usually 10%, if I go to church, I give my 10%, then God's going to give me a really good and beautiful life that's going to include a lot of health, a whole lot of wealth, and smooth circumstances. If you don't think that's one of the growest religions, religions in the world, just drive by on 59. I'm saying things that I wasn't supposed to say today. I'm sorry. But this is in us. That is the world's economy, the kingdom economy that Paul is trying to get us to focus on. God's work on behalf of sinners plus our faith, which is just trusting in Jesus, which is not a work. Instead, God puts that in us. It's a gift. That will equal God's approval. That's what he says in verse 9. Let me just read it, and i got to pick up the pace. That we would be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. That's the kingdom economy. Faith in Christ equals safe passage for our souls. There is a better way. It is not false joy in personal accomplishments, and I like to check things off the list. There's not false joy in a religion, although it makes it a lot easier when it's external and you just have to go do stuff. Simple. I can feel good about myself. No, instead, joy, true gospel joy, is found in counting correctly. And you go, what do you mean? Well, let's read verses 7 through 11. 
Now, whatever gain I had, and let's just not complicate the Christian life, whatever gain, whatever gain, gain in, in my business, gain in my religion, gain in my marriage, that finally I got married, finally we're having kids, finally, whatever, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, look at what he's counting, look at how he's counting, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Are you feeling this? Through faith and uh, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he goes on to say, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Joy is found in counting correctly. Many people do not want to surrender to Jesus because they are afraid of what they'll have to give up. And you will find yourself, if you count that way, I have all the world's riches, and Jesus is calling me to give all that up for him. We will find ourselves sad and walking away from Jesus like the rich young ruler. Or we can find all of the, the riches of this world, whether it be emotional riches, actual riches, achievements, and count them all as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. See, that's the key. And he says this word here, rubbish, and I want, this is where I want to drive it home. This word for rubbish is a word that if you translate it appropriately in the context of Greek, it's skubala. You can, you can, you can take that with you this week. What did you learn about at church on Sunday? I learned about skubala. And they're going to go, say what now? And you're going to tell them this. Skubala, it is translated rubbish. That's a very English word. We don't say rubbish in America. We can say garbage. But... It actually has a more severe meaning than that. And it means, this is where my Greek professor would not say this in our classroom because he knew people were recording him, but he typed it out on the projector so that we could read it. And it starts with an S. That's how severe this is. My ex-brother-in-law, we used to make fun of, of terrible words, um, and then it would come out like manure, Okay. So this is, this is excrement. This is fecal matter. I consider it all fecal matter. Now, if my ex-brother-in-law was in the room, which I'm just going to bring him in the room for me right here because I want you to hear this, he would go, manure. And you try to make it fancy, even though it's not a fancy word, and you just go, manure. Come on. Come on. Let's have a host way moment where you get to participate. He's gone now, but we're going to bring him back. Right? Buenos dias, familia. I have an exercise for you. <laughs> right? Here we go. Manure. You have to do this. No one's doing this. Manure. Okay, that's what you got to do. I consider it all manure. Scubala. Fecal matter. All the gains that I thought I had. All the profit that I thought I had with the Lord, all the credit that I had devoted my whole life to is now manure. Scubala, that's the S word. It's fecal matter. And, and what Paul is trying to get us to understand, that 
compared to knowing Jesus. And he says, my Lord. Do you know Jesus as your Lord? Or do you know him just as your Savior? It's Savior and Lord. You see, when you look at the New Testament, it's all the, all the disciples are going, my Lord, my Master, my King. It's not just Savior. If you think he's just the Savior, super convenient. That he just forgives you of your sins. So just might as well go out and sin. Because he forgives you those anyways. Lord, forgive me of this sin that I'm about to commit. But if he's your Lord and he says, but it's sin, why would you run into that? These are the words of life and this is the path to death. Don't go down the path of death. The Lord is saying that. And you go, okay, if the Lord is saying that, then I'm out. Jesus, my Lord. Not just my higher power that helps me with my struggle. My Lord. And there is great care in knowing Jesus as your Lord. Surely none of you have had a disappointment in your life like mine. Early on in my marriage, I thought I was going to be a pharmaceutical sales rep. You know why I wanted to do that? Moni. This is before seminary and after Jesus. I still was chasing it. And I remember preparing and talking to other pharmaceutical sales reps. And I remember reading books about how to interview at pharmaceutical sales companies. And I went into those four interviews back to back to back to back. And every single one of them, I bombed. You know why? Because they asked me for my college transcript. And I went, oh, here's my liberal arts degree and a 2.6 GPA. How'd you do in math? Awful. How'd you do in science? Worse. Speech communication? Do you need someone to talk? Actually, I got C's there too. Don't even try and... <laughs> Bad. I was destroyed when I got done with those interviews. And I remember thinking to myself, Lord, what are you doing to me? And I remember going home to my newly married wife and being like, I'm, I don't even know what to do with my life. And what she did was remind me of the sovereign care of my master, the author and perfecter of my faith that has my spiritual maturity in mind and not my worldly success in mind. That's who's caring for me in the midst of disappointment. That's who's caring for Paul in the midst of shipwreck and lashings and religious excelling. And it's who's caring for you right now. So friends, have you identified where you are ultimately putting confidence in your flesh? Have you identified where you're counting wrong? Instead of counting everything as loss, I've counted some things as gain. Instead of the surpassing worth of knowing personally Jesus as your Lord. After Easter, you might be thinking, okay, this is a crazy little group. I don't know if I want to be a part of it. After Sunday, now you're really invested in this group because you just sent some people away. You might be thinking, what is this church all about? It's what every church should be about. And I pray that we are. That's why we're praying for other churches. Koinonia, Pecan Grove, you name them. There's not a one on that list or the many more that will come that we're not praying for the same thing. That the true gospel of grace is preached and lived out of on a daily basis, that we would consider it all lost. Would you consider your suburban dream a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus? Let me pray.
Lord, it doesn't matter what gospel we're trying to cling to. If it is a gospel of works, wrapped in religion, if it's an economy of payment based on something that we think we uh, have done so that God owes us something, Lord, we repent. And we consider it scubala, manure. It's refuse. It's waste. It's something to be flushed out of our lives. Not clung to and hung on to. Lord, for all of us right now that just our hearts are trying to break free from just the web that is entangling us and just making us make all the excuses of, not, of reasons not to come and surrender at the feet of Jesus. Would you cut all those cords away? Circumcise our hearts. If there's people in this room that do not know you as their Lord, yes, Savior, yes is our higher power, but as our Lord, our master, our caretaker. Lord, Holy Spirit, do a work in those that don't know you. For those that do know you, do a work in our hearts and just cut away all the ways that we've said, you know what, I just, I, I want to just, Jesus isn't doing it for me right here or right now, and so I'm going to do my own way. I'm going to get relief through this particular pleasure or sin. Lord, if we have dabbled in the darkness this week, Lord, bring us back to wholehearted devotion to you. Empower us by that power of resurrection that Paul says at the end. That we would know you. That we would know the power of your resurrection. That we would share in your sufferings of trying to live a godly life as, to the glory of our Father. Lord, that we would work and wage war against the world, against the devil, against our flesh. Because everything that we want to set up as our own kingdom, may we first and foremost return to our first love. Just as you said at the church at Ephesus during Lent. Help us. Help us identify the places that are warring against us and help us return to you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen.